0: It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program. So just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment.
1: Hello, and welcome back to a special edition of Mic'd Up on OWN Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Low Country listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, April 7th. is Tuesday, and the time of this recording, It's currently 5.20 a.m., and I was up late last night, y'all, prepping for the show, watching cable news, and this is what I heard as I was
2: scribbling down my show notes for today. Take a listen. I mentioned Columbia, South Carolina there. There's 44 cases reported as of today at their local VA facility, which tells you something about Columbia, South Carolina and the type of epidemic they are dealing with there, whether or not they've got their arms around it yet. Well, today, the governor of South Carolina, Republican Henry McMaster, finally today put in place a stay at home order for his state, but he's not calling it a stay at home order. He's calling it a home or work order because he's not actually ordering people in South Carolina to stay at home. He's ordering them to stay at home, quote, unless they're working, they're visiting family or recreating outdoors. Those are the limits, he said today. So you can stay inside. You should stay inside. Stay at home. You should stay inside. Stay at home. Unless you are visiting with your family. Unless you are doing outdoor recreation. Unless you are doing other things that the governor says probably won't spread this thing too much. But in case that sounds too onerous, don't worry. Even that doesn't go into effect until tomorrow night. Because why rush? South Carolina has more than 2,000 known cases now. They've got more than 40 cases just at their VA facility that isn't doing a ton of testing. But anybody in South Carolina right now who doesn't know they've got it, but they are spreading it asymptomatically, your governor, Mr. McMaster, I'm sure really hopes that you won't spread it unabated while you continue to, you know, visit family and work and, you know, do whatever you need to do
1: within his work and home order. So um, I'm not necessarily trying to like justify my choices. You know, I don't, (laughs) I don't need to justify why or how I do things typically, but I typically do not watch a lot of evening cable news as a practice of self-care. But ever since I decided to produce these daily COVID-19 updates, I have to be particularly um, attentive to national news because there are very many times where South Carolina makes national news and something told me something said, Mika, you might want to sit down and not just watch Rachel Maddow on mute. You know, don't just look out for the Chiron to say something explicitly about McMaster, our governor. You know, something nudged me and, and my intuition was just yelling at me. And it only makes sense. Right. Because earlier that day, our governor, Henry McMaster, took to a podium and to dispense some news that we were all waiting for. Well, at least that's what we thought, right? We all thank you for
0: coming. Uh, Today, again, we are trying to be sure that everyone is kept up to date on the progress of the virus and the progress of our efforts to fight that virus without destroying jobs and families. So today I'm issuing another order. This is a mandatory order We've issued several that contain mandates and others that contain recommendations. Today, most of those recommendations are becoming mandates, becoming orders with criminal penalties attached. I'm issuing a mandatory home or work order, a home or work order that goes into effect tomorrow afternoon, Tuesday at 5 o'clock p.m. to close the business. Everyone under this order, everyone should stay home unless they're working they're visiting family or recreating outdoors unless they're obtaining necessary goods or services and those are the limits we are closing no additional businesses those businesses have been closed in previous orders also we're requiring mandates of the retail stores that are open And that is, they must limit the customers. We must have social distancing in these stores. And that specifically is no more than five customers for every 1,000 square feet in a retail business or 20% capacity, according to the fire marshal, whichever is less. A violation of any of these mandatory requirements is a misdemeanor 30 days in jail and or $100 fine for each day of violation.
1: You know, over the weekend, um, a lot of us may have seen coverage of other areas with, and I'm using air quotes, shelter in place laws enacted where folks were just out strolling, going about their business, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the beautiful weather. You know, we saw places like Brooklyn, um, you know, just people out and just enjoying themselves and not really taking these shelter in place laws too seriously. Not not every place, but there are some pockets where we see that, right? I even got calls from my friends in Philadelphia. Um specifically, I, I heard from my friend who's an RN in the in a prominent Philadelphia hospital. And she articulated her frustration with her neighbors and her surrounding community um, because she's at the front lines. She's seeing people succumb to this virus every day. As a function of her job, she has to assist folks dealing with this virus. And so, um, you know, it's important that our governor and our leadership enact rules with a little teeth. The criticism you heard from Rachel Maddow suggests that this shelter at home slash work uh, free to recreate shelter in place law I don't know what to call it um, that that Henry McMaster enacted yesterday that doesn't take effect t- until 5 uh, p.m this afternoon Tuesday April 7th it's it's really hmm it's troubling because you really want to see a firm line being drawn in the sand and until we see that response I think for some folks if they're left up to their own devices, I don't know, I don't know. But uh, let me proceed with our current uh, numbers from DHEC. Take a listen.
0: Updated numbers on the number of cases in South Carolina. Uh, They reported an additional 183 cases of the virus today, putting the state's total to 2,232. Four additional deaths reported today. Those deaths were in Anderson, Ori, Richland, and in Spartanburg counties.
1: Shout out to WLTX, the CBS news affiliate based in Columbia, South Carolina, for that news clip. Also, the previous clip where we heard Governor Henry McMaster's voice, that came courtesy of SCETV. The numbers you heard listed in that clip are current as of this morning. Those are the numbers that are currently on the DHEC website. And it lists Charleston County as having 300 total positive cases of COVID-19. So, again, that's as of five 53 a.m. Tuesday morning. Um, so now I want to pivot to um, more coverage and, and more coverage of the fallout from COVID-19. This time, we're going to take a look at local industry.
0: Late today, the Boeing is set to suspend all 787 operations at their South Carolina plant. This goes into effect at the end of the second shift on Wednesday. Company says anyone who can work remotely will continue to do so. Those who can't will receive paid leave for working 10 days of the shutdown. Again,
1: WLTX for the win with that clip. Um, Yeah, so we're starting to really feel some of the the behemoths of industry. Um, We've already seen hospitality and hotels take a hit, um, tourism take a hit. You know, Boeing, Boeing is, for lack of a better phrase, that girl here, right? It employs so many folks here locally. It's brought in so many folks to this region so for them to be uh, for them to to be shutting down an aspect of the business is a huge headline that we need to watch um, I'm going to pivot to more economic news. this is an update regarding unemployment numbers. you really want to listen to this clip.
3: The South Carolina Department of Employment and Workforce says in the week ending March 28th, they received nearly 65,000 initial unemployment claims. 65,000 initial claims is a 3,000% increase since March 14th. Horry and Charleston counties, historically tourism-rich areas, were the hardest hit. The state reported roughly 9,600 claims in Oree County and nearly 8,000 in Charleston County. Here in Richland County, the initial unemployment claims were about half that, at 4,684. Full-service restaurants and hotel employees saw the greatest number of initial claims the week of March 22nd through the 28th, more than 16,000. The department wants to remind people unemployment claims are filled completely online, and they are waiting for further guidance to implement the newly passed federal
1: aid. I'm about to initiate a morning coffee drinking game um, Can you guess where that clip came from? Shout out to Jacob Reynolds from WLTX. (laughs) Take a swig of coffee (laughs) every time I say WLTX. They've been crushing it with the coverage, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, they've been doing a great job covering the entire state. So that's why I rely so heavily on their clips. And they always just they just do great, great, do great with the reporting, period. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, hopefully I'll have uh, someone join me for uh, either an update show or an extended, um, regular mic'd up 4pm on Friday show. Um, I'd love to have someone come and unpack the CARES Act. I had a conversation, several conversations over the weekend where we discussed everything from, um, you know, loans that small businesses have access to, to the unemployment numbers. Really just want to help folks get through this tough time, because from what I understand, um, filing for unemployment has been a nightmare. Uh, And not just here in South Carolina, throughout the entire state or rather the entire country, excuse me, uh, we've we've seen people have difficulty trying to get relief right now and so we know that they passed the stimulus bill we know that they said that banks would have access to this money and and would know how to administer these loans but that's not consistent with the feedback i've been hearing from friends and entrepreneurs so hopefully i'll be able to bring um, another like financial voice into this discussion okay pivoting back to government There's another area we have to watch. In previous update shows, I brought you the voice of Marlon Kempson, an area lawmaker who was lobbying our governor, Governor Henry McMaster, um, in efforts to, to avoid an issue with the upcoming June primary. So Kempson and others are lobbying for an accessible voting experience, one where folks can mail in their votes as opposed to showing up and putting themselves at risk for contracting the virus. Um, So here's an update regarding those efforts. This
3: weekend, Senators Brad Hutto, Thomas McElveen, and Marlon Kimpson wrote a letter to Governor McMaster. The letter urges him to implement voting by mail and expanded access to absentee voting in time for the June primaries. Representative Beth Bernstein and some others wrote a similar letter at the end of March. Since we're dealing with this pandemic, this um, incredible crisis that we're dealing with as a country, and the uncertainty of where we're going to be come November, I think it's only prudent that we start making in um, considering and preparing for the election, particularly in November. Bernstein's letter calls for voting by mail in the November general election. It also asked the governor to allow people to access their ballots online, something usually reserved for the military and overseas voters.
1: Yeah, for many of us, like myself, if you're a politics junkie like me, all eyes are on Wisconsin today, you know, they're holding their primary election. And it didn't come without a fight. A lot of folks like the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, really pushed back on Wisconsin holding the election. Um, But you know, after numerous court fights, even a Supreme Court battle, the election will take place. Um, So hopefully the folks out in Wisconsin, I'm keeping you in my heart. Hopefully you all will stay safe and um, take whatever necessary precautions you have to to participate in your election. And shout out to the poll workers. I'm a former poll worker. I've worked presidential, absentee, uh, curbside. Poll workers put it all on the line. So Uh, I'm thinking about them as well, not just voters, but those who have to work the polls and and have to process things. Um, Yeah, it's a lot to consider. So I hope that here in South Carolina, we already have um, a pretty dope system when it comes to uh, a no excuse uh, absentee process where you can mail in your ballot. I know that I, for one, will be taking advantage of that. I I already have. um, I I just do. Um, So hopefully, we can take full advantage of the absentee voting process if our leadership can't get on the same page regarding that. Okay, um, I'm going to pivot again, but this time um, I want to give Berkeley County some love. Uh, A drive-through testing center opened up there recently, and I wanted to let people know about this new center and and how they can gain access to it.
4: This COVID-19 testing facility here in Monk's Corner just opened this morning at 9 a.m., As of Sunday, there were 45 cases in Berkeley County. The DHEC website says the top two places in the county are 14 cases in 29445, that's Goose Creek, and 11 in 29461 Monk's Corner. Now they do anticipate increasing numbers through at least the end of April.
2: Uh, right now, we're focusing on trying to stay ahead of that as much as possible with our operations.
4: One tool in this fight a partnership between the town of Monk's Corner, Berkeley County, and the Federer Healthcare Network. Federer opened a testing facility today. It's a drive-through service and the market pavilion there in Monk's Corner's recreation complex. They will be able to test up to 300 people per day. Now, you have to have an appointment. You can schedule an appointment at FedererCOVID19Screening.org.
1: Shout out to our local NBC News affiliate, WCBD, with that update. Um, It's important for us to remain vigilant with regard to our rural pockets, our rural areas like Berkeley County, um, around Goose Creek, around Monk's Corner. Those areas deserve a lot of attention. And so it's great to see a drive-thru facility set up to service that area and I'll keep you posted about all things rural, all things Berkeley County because I don't think I've done my due diligence regarding that area. But there is some news coming, some really important people doing some amazing things. So um, look out for news from me regarding Berkeley County and you know surrounding counties as well. Um, here's another story. I thought this was a very like a heartwarming story. It's, it's, um, it shows you where we are in current times in this fight against the, the coronavirus, but it's great to, to hear from local healthcare officials or local healthcare professionals, pardon me, it's great to hear um, nurses and those on the front lines really put, putting themselves out there to service other communities. Take a listen to this story.
3: Gilliard says she has
5: been working limited hours where she works due to demand. Since the number of patients have been low, Nurses and staff whose position is as needed have had shift cuts. The hospital census is, is very
1: low, um, and which is a good thing because people are actually staying home and away from the hospitals. Um, a good thing, bad thing. The nurses are um, the hours are being cut.
3: Some Gilliard
5: agreed to work in New York through a nursing agency where job postings and contracts are available from hospitals, all posted to Facebook groups. I've made
1: the decision because I've wanted to help. Like I said, I just I see the nurses, I'm friends with some of the nurses on Facebook and seeing them up the long hours and the patients that are waiting so long in the emergency rooms. Um, I was just I'm just glad to help out.
5: Gilliard says she is not afraid of contracting the virus. But if she fears anything, it is being an asymptomatic carrier and passing it
1: to someone else. I'm excited to get in there and see exactly what it is firsthand. Gillyard will be Special thanks to WCBD Channel News 2 for that clip and big, big old shout out to April Gilliard, Representative Wendell Gilliard's daughter. Uh, big shout out to her. She's a hero in her own right. Um, she's doing big things. It's great to see her leverage her skill set and take it to New York, which is arguably ground zero for uh, the coronavirus outbreak right now. So big shout out to her. Uh, she and I actually went to high school together at St. Andrews. So we're both fellow Rocks. So shout out to her for that. Um, I'm gonna. Pick Pivot. Yesterday, I ended the podcast with a tidbit regarding um, some Black history, right? Because I- I've seen our local publications leverage history to contextualize what we're dealing with right now in regards to the coronavirus outbreak. However, I feel like that lens has been largely omissive, and it doesn't really incorporate or invoke the names of amazing trailblazers in healthcare that are right are from right here in South Carolina. So, yesterday, I added a clip. Featuring um, some tidbits about Majeska Simpkins and her uh, legendary work here in South Carolina. I'm not going to add a clip today, but I want to ev- invoke the name of Matilda Evans. Matilda Evans. That's your homework. I don't usually give homework. But I want you to Google Matilda Evans and her work here in South Carolina and her work during World War I. It's worth a, It's worth a look. And I'll probably bring some more factoids about Matilda in the next episode. However, I will. Um, this is my dismount. I'm trying to trying to be a little bit more graceful. I don't know if this is going to work, but I do want to end today's episode with an interview with my friend and fellow organizer, Ryan Wagner. Ryan is based in, in Florida uh, and she works currently for Black Voters Matter. Um, and so I wanted to incorporate her voice because she's talking about and she's she's stressing um, the importance for disaster resiliency. So it's hard to juggle both ideas, but we have to think about not just COVID-19, but also the upcoming hurricane season and how we need to organize beyond the the uh, where we are right now. And I know that's a, that's a lot to handle at once, but it's something to give thought to. So um, I'm gonna say goodbye right now Thank you all for listening. Please stay home, stay healthy. And to my Gullah Geechee folk, y'all stay black. And please listen, listen, check out this interview with my friend, Ryan Wagner. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. All right. So for those who don't know you or your work, would you mind just stating your name and what you do?
5: My name is Ryan Wagner. I am the Florida Senior State Coordinator for Black Voters Matter.
1: Okay, thank you so much, and yeah, that's how you and I first met. Uh, we we worked together with Black Voters Matter, and um, throughout our time together, um, I'm able to pick up on little tidbits, and I, I'm always impressed by your previous work and what that has looked like. And I wanted to know more, um, especially given the fact that you've worked in different states. I believe you've done activism not just in Florida, right, in other states as well.
5: Tennessee and Georgia.
1: Okay. And so um, we started talking offline about disaster resiliency. You and I both live um, in places impacted by things like hurricanes and stuff like that. And with this current COVID 19 pandemic, folks have to kind of like have their head on the swivel for a a multitude of things. Like yesterday, we had a tornado warning while the the state was trying to issue some other like text, a mass text for. COVID-19 related things, and so it confused folks, it it alarmed some folks. So um, can you just go into what disaster resiliency is?
5: Sure. So um, for uh, for us in Florida, disaster resiliency has been about moving beyond temporary relief efforts, you know, food, clothes, those things are important, but people are looking for long-term uh, solutions to this particular problem. So hurricanes won't stop coming to the coast, particularly Florida, um, anytime soon. So it's all about being prepared beforehand. What does your crisis communications plan look like? If you're an organization, how are you going to help your employees through a crisis? In Miami, the building codes of are are basically uh, any building in Miami that. Uh, any new building, I should say, has to be up to code to, I believe, a, a category four or five hurricane. Um, so, even your building codes in other cities, like how are you preparing ahead of time before a crisis uh, is what disaster resiliency is all about. It's more than just providing people with temporary relief because they're going to be looking to rebuild, they're going to be looking at Rebuilding their lives, essentially, we have to treat people like they're human beings. And how are we building community within a crisis as well? So how can the public and private sector, with the involvement of the community, uh, address a crisis, whether it's man-made or whether it's a natural disaster? If you live in Miami, it's not necessarily a hurricane you got to worry about. You can worry it's a any given bad weather situation. So any bad storm. A lot of the lower lying neighborhoods in Miami get flooded on a regular basis, and to no one's surprise, a lot of those areas are Black and Brown communities. So um, we also need to be making sure we are centering lower income and Black and Brown communities, because often times in Florida, a lot of the power uh, power connections and utility companies will come to our neighborhoods last. So you know, it's important that. While we have public and private sector coordination, we also need to make sure there's accountability, effective leadership, because you can have a great plan on paper. uh, But if you don't have effective leadership, it doesn't matter. And and people can lose their lives as a result, Um, particularly with COVID-19 as we've seen with the governor of Florida. He issued the statewide Stay at home order, in my opinion, way later than he should have. Um, because he was more concerned with economic ramifications of this virus versus thinking about people's lives and their livelihoods and people recovering from COVID uh, and how we move forward in addressing this virus at the local level.
1: Let me ask you a question. Has there been any community or any, um, maybe any anecdotes you've heard from other organizers, anyone who has modeled some um, admirable uh, disaster resiliency planning?
5: Um, i organized Florida. um, My previous organization. uh, They had disaster resiliency training, which were great. um, Because a lot of times people don't even know where to go. Once a disaster happens. So even if you're an information clearinghouse for the communities you operate in that's That's the first step right because you know if your power goes out. You can't use your electronics. You don't have access to internet. Um, So people need to know where to go when a crisis happens. So uh, New Florida Majority also has been great, at least with the COVID-19
1: crisis. What do you think uh, people should do for themselves if they don't have that leadership in place?
5: In terms of, again, organizations that are on the ground doing this work, obviously we're all inside, but they're utilizing social media to reach uh, the community. Um, there's a lot of confusion around testing sites, at least with COVID-19. I suspect as we get closer to hurricane season here, people are gonna want hotlines and and, and numbers to call for emergencies because the power will go out. Uh, so people will be cut off from services. And then uh, secondly, individually, people need to always have a hurricane preparedness plan. Um, if you're a homeowner, you need to be clear whether or not your homeowner's insurance covers flood damage. Um, I don't know if you remember with Hurricane Harvey, a lot of Houston residents that were homeowners did not have flood insurance, and the, the homeowners did not cover it. Um, the second point to that is, are we helping folks um, get access to flood insurance? Flood insurance, in addition to homeowners insurance, is very expensive here in Florida. Um, so oftentimes, you'll have folks make a choice between the two um, right. in many cases. And then there's the matter of our renters, our folks in apartments. Um, I would suggest talking with your landlord about what their plan is, but also if they do not have one, um, especially if you're in an apartment that's not managed by a large property management firm, just having your own disaster preparedness kit of sorts, backup batteries, um, generators, if you can afford it. I, I, I don't know what they cost, but you know, generators are a lifesaver, um, at least for us, when my parents' house was hit, um, damaged by the hurricane um, in 2017, Hurricane Irma to be specific. Um, organized Florida also, I believe, provided food for folks. You can't cook in a crisis like that. Uh, unless you're gas, a gas cooktop. Um, so it, it can be a number of things.
1: Well, Ryan, thank you so much for your insight. I think it's important that we think ahead and not just think about what's currently plaguing us. I know it's hard for folks, but we have to look forward. And I think you just helped me, uh, helped me communicate that to others.
5: Well, I appreciate you
4: having me. Thank you. Have a good day.
1: <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.